Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Coming to you from Classic City, the capital of the Bulldog Nation, it's time for another edition of the podcast designed for the most die-hard Georgia fans in the country. Here are your hosts, Tyler and Charlie. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA podcast. I'm your host, Tyler, and after having the last couple of weeks off before we embark upon this 13-week grind that is the college ball regular season. My co-host Charlie is once again back with me today on the show. Charlie, it's been a couple of weeks. You did, well, you came back for a couple of weeks in July, right? Yes. I want to say most of July. So it's still August? I think like you were here every week in July, I want to say. It's all, yes, yes, Charlie, it's, it's I'm August. I'm very lost. Well, Time. I mean, it is, it's almost not August, but it's still technically August. So you were here a month or so ago, took another month off. How was the downtime? I, you were, I was not asked to come back. That is, no, Charlie, Charlie, Charlie. Why do you come on here and lie to the people? I'm not lying. I think you feel bad asking me to record if you know I'm super busy with work and other stuff. Okay, so I will give you credit. You have offered to come on. I, I will be honest. I got to be honest here. You've offered to come on, but it's one of those things like, when you are just a really nice person and you offer to help somebody out, but like in your voice, you can clearly tell that you don't actually want to help them out. That's kind of how I've felt over the past month when I've talked to you about it. So I was trying to give you a little downtime because I didn't feel like you, because I know it's a grind for you and you get that glass. Let's, let's be honest. At the end of last year, you were kind of worn down. Like yeah. you needed that time off and you took about six months off. So I didn't want to, I know what's coming and I didn't want to wear you out and it didn't seem like the way that when we talked about it, the way that you were, even though yes, you were being very gracious and saying, yeah, I'll help anytime you need help. It just didn't seem like you actually meant that. Great. Thanks. I'll work on that. No. Is that, is that a me thing? Am I reading into it? I mean, if I offer to help, I you're offer right, to help. Right. I should take you at face value. You're exactly right. It's a me thing. It's my fault. But regardless, I'm very glad you're back here today and I'm just Charlie. I'm honest. I'm, I'm pumped that we... Almost have, almost have college football back in our lives. Obviously, Georgia kicks off in less than two weeks, but we do have college football this weekend. It might not be like premier level college football, but it's still college football nonetheless, and I will be watching every single second of it. Are you going to actually be tuning in? Are you going to be watching the Dublin-Ireland game? Nebraska-Northwestern? I mean, yeah, I'm going to watch it. Which game are you most excited about this weekend? I'm excited about that. It's like the only major Power them? 5 game. All of them is an acceptable answer. I will take that. You know which one I'm actually most excited about? I mean, Saturdays are taken for 
from, from this Saturday, what is that? The 26th, 27th? 27th. Okay. Week Until zero. January. Second week. Second Saturdays full week are January. done. Third full week of January. Second please, full week of January. Please don't ask me to do anything on a Saturday. Right. It's not, no, it's not happening. I told you guys. My or brother, a Sunday. My either. brother's getting married. <laughs> That's yeah, something with the South uh, Carolina game. I've mentioned that before. Yeah, um, I don't know I, how I, I feel, feel about as we that. get closer and closer to it, I feel probably a little bit worse about it, but I, I mean, not bad enough to not go to the, the Georgia game. I you mean, shouldn't tell people that. Well, I mean, Charlie, I have financial investments in this, and like, there are I know, rules. There just are don't rules. talk about it. Well, I just gotta be... It kind of makes you sound like a bad person. I, 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 oh yeah, I mean, I probably am a bad person to do doing this, but I mean, Charlie, priorities. Priorities. You can, you can take them out and celebrate another time. Do you think time. we're losing any listeners when you're talking about that? I will take him out. I will make up for it. I will make up for it. Yeah. But also, like, I had these plans made before he got engaged. So there's that. And I had, like, non-refundable reservations You do made. book your stuff, like, Like, a year as soon as the schedule comes out and the hotels that. are open up for booking, then I book my hotels. I mean, That's, yeah. Just take have him, to. Just make it up I mean, to Charlie, him. I don't know if you know, there's not many hotels in Starkville, Mississippi. Fill up pretty quickly. I'm sure there aren't. There's not many. Not many. Not many that you would stay at. No, let's just be honest. I'm, I know you I'm have pretty a thing about nice hotels. I'm pretty picky. Well, going back to week zero, you know the game I'm most excited about? What game? Tell us all. Vanderbilt at Oh, the Hawaii. Hawaii game. I am so angry that game has come on at 1030 Eastern. Why? Yeah, that's pretty bad. So it's kicking off at 430 in Hawaii. Why can't they kick off at noon? Yeah. Like, it's, not like, it's not like there's a primetime game on ESPN or something that anybody cares about. Yeah, I don't understand. I, I'm going to have to watch that on Sunday. There's no way I'm still... I, I won't mean, even make it to kickoff. I'm going to try to watch the first half, but I might not make it, Charlie. I won't I'm make gonna it I'm going to try. Like those, those Pac-12 after dark games are always fun, but I make it through like it'll, usually the first quarter, and then from there it's, you know, whatever happens, happens. So I'm going to try, but I, like you, I'm probably going to be recording it and watching most of it on Sunday, so... Yeah, I know people don't do that, but that's kind of how I operate. I think I've rubbed off on you when it comes to that. Yeah, well, I just have You can watch more games that way. Well, I've never been able to stay up late enough to watch. Oh, yeah, but just in general, I watch all those games. Like, I don't watch any game live. Then you can make two days out of it. The only game I watch live is our game. Because I'm there. Yeah, because you're there. But every other game, I I guess if I'm at a bar, you're watching them live. Right, but if I'm at home, I do not watch games live because I can fast forward through commercials and watch a lot more games that way. I know that sounds crazy to people. And yes, I have to do a social media blackout. So if you. Tweet me or tweet us on game day or something. I don't respond. It's probably because I'm at home and I'm on a social media blackout temporarily until I get caught up on some of those games. That's usually what happens. But I'm excited about that Vanderbilt Hawaii game. Well, yeah, you give your phone to other people to check because yeah, you know pe- there are certain people that will try to ruin scores for you. I actually and, I, I know and you, I've seen it happen. It's quite funny. Well, the bottom line, you know, the bottom line scrolls the scores by. Yeah, I have this contraption. Basically, it's um butcher paper. It's black butcher paper that I have strung together. And I place that at the bottom of my television and I tape it behind the back of my TV so that it blocks out the you bottom You made line. this? I know that you did not make that. Someone made it for me, but uh, I have it. I have it, nonetheless. And it works wonders. So starting Do this... Do people ask what that is when they come over? Charlie, I don't have people over. I don't have friends. That's true. I'm just kidding. That's no, um, no, no, you but, don't have people uh, over. That's true. I'm, I'm, I'm a private guy. You know, I have people over occasionally from time to time. I usually go to other people's places. It That's, does make sense, though. Why do they even have the scroll thingy anymore? Because it's it, it's a relic of a bygone era. Like, because, you could have it for yes. breaking news, but you don't need to have it for scores anymore. We have these things right here, Charlie. These are computers that we have in our pockets now. So if I want to see a score, all I have to do is look at that. It is a relic of a bygone era. In 1997, I was watching college football when I was in, what, sixth grade? I think sixth grade sounds about right. 
Yeah, it was great. It was awesome because that's how I found out what was going on around the rest of the country because we had the, the little dial-up internet, which a lot of you know what we're talking about. Some of you younger listeners have no clue what I'm talking about, but that's what we had, and that's how we had to figure things out. Charlie, it's it's 2022 now. We don't need that, and it just messes with my viewing experience. I'm, and I know people love it, I think, so they keep it around, but I've, I've got a life hack that has helped me in these endeavors, and I love it. So from now, it's really from this Saturday through college basketball season, there will be a, a small black sheet of butcher paper at the bottom of my television blocking the bottom line. So That's a good yeah. idea. I might have to make one yeah, myself. Yeah, life hack, guys. Try it. I'm telling you. But all right, so we got a lot to talk about today, Charlie. As for today's show, this one's going to be a little bit weird, but we're rolling with it. So just a little behind-the-scenes report for you guys, a little peek behind the curtains. Curtis, as he has been doing for a couple of months now, was originally supposed to be on this episode today, and we were going to do our annual bowl predictions episode. We got a ton of you to send in bowl predictions. We're going to try to get to every one of them, or at least as many as we possibly can. So we were going to do that today, but Curtis, congratulations, my man, actually started a new job today. Still waiting on bar exam scores, but he started a new job. And what do you know, Charlie? Day one, he ends up being asked to stay at work a little bit later than I think he anticipated. I think he could, should get used to that. Uh, I think and that's when you start a new to. job, mm-hmm. you should usually show up a little early. I'm sure he did. Hang out, hang around a little later. Well, he's clearly doing that. That's why he's not here. Sure, but not even when you're asked to make it, you know, you want to show that you're really, you know, yeah, going I mean, above I, and beyond. I don't know exactly how it went down. I don't know if it was like his decision or his boss asked him or he like got word from somebody else. Hey man, you should probably be staying later. I don't know. But he's just, staying later today. So in the work world. When you start a job. The work world. It's going to be a longer day than normal. Not the business world anymore. It's the work world. Not everyone works I mean, in the business whatever. industry, I guess. Yeah. Uh, you know what I mean. Of course I know God, what you mean, Charlie. Semantics. Yeah. Semantics. Semantics. So he is uh, doing that today. But Charlie, who was going to be on with me later in the week, was gracious enough, thank you, Charlie, to rearrange her schedule and jump on with me today. So basically what we're doing is we're just flipping the episodes this week, a little bit out of order from what we'd originally planned, but we're still going to get the same content to you guys just in a little bit of a different way. The only catch here today is that Charlie has only about 30 minutes, about a 30-minute window to record today. So in that 30 minutes, we're going to recap the second full week of fall camp, and we're going to do it a little bit differently this week. We're actually going to use your questions to guide us this week. You guys know how this works. A lot of you have sent these questions in. With fall camp underway and all the news that comes out of that, all the practice reports, the various developments flying our way seemingly every day, this is the time of year the mailbag just starts to overflow with questions and it doesn't really stop overflowing with questions until, I don't know, February, March, sometime around there, which is great. We love it. We love the interaction. We want you guys to send those questions in. And we have been promising at least one more mailbag episode before the season starts. So here it is. And then once Charlie checks out of here in about half an hour, I'm not gone. I'm not done. I'm going to carry on and give you guys a few more early thoughts on the Oregon game. I did the Scout and the Enemy episode on Oregon back in early July, I want to say. Obviously, it was the first one that we did. And I want to give you guys, obviously, we'll have our full-on preview next week. But I got some some thoughts that I want to share with you guys to wrap things up today once Charlie gets out of here. But Charlie, we do have some questions about fall camp to get to, which is technically over because classes at UGA have started. And Charlie, I know that you are super excited that all the college students have returned to the Classic City over the past week or so. Well, you know, I went downtown for lunch on Saturday. Mm -hmm. 
And because it was still rushed, it seemed like a ghost town. South. Oh, best brunch. I know people love Mama's Boy. South, if you've never been there, guys, best brunch in town. They actually had what I wanted this time. But the one time pecan I, roll skillet? Yes. Nashville hot chicken yes, skillet? Yes. Because it's I've been there good. before. It's good. Yes. And they were like, oh, we just ran out of pecan rolls. I'm like, well, I no, I don't want it on a waffle. I wanted the pecan rolls. That was the whole reason I they came. They offered you a waffle instead of pecan rolls? Yeah, which doesn't compare. What? That is not even the same dish. Yeah. Well, yeah, uh, I know. I mean, that's just crazy. Both carbs. Yeah. I, yeah, I mean... Bread products. Sure, both But not even carbs. in the same realm. No. But yeah, no. Anyways, there was it, it was like a ghost town because Rush was still going on. Mm-hmm. So they were all Oh, on I millage. know all about Rush trying to run down millages. I, oh. I, played, I was playing freaking Frogger. I was Frogger going down millage over the past well, two Saturdays. I had a mini heart attack because I was running and it was still dark. It was probably 6.30 and two, I didn't realize it, two girls came walking out of the tree line between the sorority house and the fire station and I think I jumped like four feet in the air and said a lot of bad words because I didn't You've see never. them. I just heard them and then they stepped onto the sidewalk real fast. Oh, was, wait, like what time? Five o'clock in the morning? For it was you? like 6.15. Yeah, so tough. it was still dark. That's tough. It was very scary. Yeah, it's not my favorite time. And I'll, you know, people I work with are like, dude, like, like there's... Like, there's worse things to see, right? I'm like, dude, I'm an old man. I'm an 18-year-old girl. Like, I, I, I feel creepy now. Am I, am I officially creepy now? If I'm a, I'm a 36-year-old man, Charlie, right? So these girls are like half my age. I think I, I would be creepy if I'm like, oh, yeah, these girls are hot. Right? I would think that's creepy. I think that's creepy. Keep, so, the, keep those thoughts to no, your like, head. No, like, one of my coworkers are like, but In your head. there's like worse things to see, right, man? I'm like, you know, I would have said that maybe 10 years ago, but now I'm like, I don't know. I don't know how to feel about that. But either it's a nuisance. I'm not gonna lie. The whole rush thing on millage is a freaking nuisance. And I know I, this is old man get off my lawn stuff, but at this stage of my life, it is a freaking nuisance. I will say they don't know how to share the sidewalk. They do not, properly. and it pisses me. I, that's what I'm playing. I'm having to run in the middle of the freaking street because they will not. And then not only will they not move, then they look at you like you're the problem. Like no, you, no, 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 no. I live here. Well, this I'm my sure town. you were wearing a bright color to make sure you didn't get hit by traffic. So it started. Not this past Saturday, the Saturday before. Yeah, I had bright purple on. Okay, well that's Neon good. Neon purple. You weren't going to get hit. Yeah. Uh, what did I have on? Uh, yellow. Yeah. Some yellow on. Okay. Well, just yeah. keep wearing those bright colors. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I do like bright colors. So yeah, I mean, they're back in town. So I don't even know where we were going. Oh yeah, so we were saying that it's technically fall camp. No, it's t- technically fall camp is over. That's what I was getting at. Because students are back. And once students are back... We can't actually go. We don't have camp. Guys are back in their dorms, in their apartments. They're not locked up in the Georgia Center. But technically, I guess we can call this fall camp. I don't know whether we call it fall camp or not, but the camp part is really over. Fall practice, I guess, what we're going to call it now. But we do have a lot of questions, Charlie. We're going to recap the second full week of fall practice, fall camp, whatever you want to call it. So where are we starting? I get to ask a question now? You do. Okay. Our first question comes with Brad. He says that with Kendall Milton's lingering hamstring injury, which kept him out of the second scrimmage. First and second, yeah. And now Andrew Paul's ACL news. He wants to know how concerned you are about running back depth this season. Yeah, I know. I mean, when we were younger. Yeah. When you were playing football. Yep, back a long time ago. That was a long time ago. There were not nearly this many ACL injuries, right? That's how I feel. I think I tweeted that I out. I mean, we like, did what? have a joke in high school that, like, if somebody <laughs> got hurt, the team coach was like, oh, he put it, you know, you hit your head, and he was like, no, it's ACL. your ACL. ACL. But yep. there weren't yep. this many ACL injuries. I don't feel like there were, Charlie. I like, Honestly, I don't. And maybe it's just 
we didn't like you know we're talking about we like we didn't get as much news right right around the country like we knew our team this was before smartphones before smartphones this was before, before dsl before high before, before wi-fi before wi-fi i didn't have yeah. wi-fi until i was in college facebook it was before Facebook. Oh, yeah. Facebook happened when I was in college. Yeah, so it was... Like, MySpace was a thing. We had not dial... What did they call it? It wasn't... Did you have we, DSL? Yeah, we had DSL by then. I had dial-up. I had dial-up all the way until I got... Until I left home. I had dial-up all the way. Well, it was like right when I went to college that we got DSL, I feel like. Because my dad worked from home. It's a long time ago. I, don't, I just so, know I had dial-up all the way until I left for college. My dad worked from home a lot, so he got annoyed when, like... I needed to use the computer, yeah. but he needed to make a phone call. Yeah. So. Yeah. But I, I, I feel like it's more prevalent now. But maybe it's because we are just we have news thrown around us at all times, it's at our fingertips at all times. Maybe. But I also think, honestly, players are just getting bigger, faster, and stronger now. And with that comes increased strain on tendons, muscles. I think, I honestly, I think Bigger that's a big hits. part of it. And I'm not obviously not a doctor. I'm not even a physical therapist or anything like that. But as someone who is like kind of remotely active and thinks about these things and worries about injuries and has suffered injuries. Yeah, I, I think you see more of it now because people are just bigger, stronger, faster, and they train more. They train year round for this kind of stuff. And I think it just puts a lot of strain on your muscles and your tendons. And that's my unofficial, non-expert opinion, but that's kind of how I'm looking at this. But yeah, I mean, I think you're right there. But with, with Kendall's lingering injury, God, poor Kendall, man. I just really, this guy's got so much talent. I wish he could just stay healthy. I'm praying for the guy, hoping for the guy. Andrew Paul's news is terrible because this guy, you know, when, when the guy gets injured, that what that means is other players have opportunities. Andrew Paul, as a true freshman, an under-recruited true freshman that came on late when he came down to Georgia and Clemson, obviously we ended up landing him. And I was very high on him coming out of, out of high school. And he was really coming on. In fact, I've been told, over the past week or so, he's kind of outshone Branson Robinson, who was the, the borderline five-star prospect coming out of high school. So I had high hopes for him as early as this year, and I thought with Kendall still dealing with the hamstring injury, he was earning more and more playing time, and then he tears the ACL. I think it was it was Malachi Starks, allegedly, that's what I was told, that that hit him as a big collision, and I guess somehow, some way, towards ACL and that collision, and that sucks because I think he's a good player. I don't think we have a ton of depth at running back right now. I mean, if you think about it, like it, we don't know Kendall Milton's status. Kirby keeps saying it's minor, he should be back this week, and that's great, and I hope that he is. seems like we're just being overly cautious there. But the fact is, he's missed both of our fall scrimmages, and that has to be with, with some of the issues he's dealt with in the past, and it's not his fault. Like I'm not trying to blame the kid. I'm rooting for him. But it has to at least be, at the very least, mildly concerning. So we've got Kenny McIntosh, who knock on wood, has been able to stay healthy and has had a hell of a fall camp, according to Kirby Smart himself. Dejan Edwards has been very solid, quietly solid, which is kind of what he is. And that's what he does. you got Branson Robinson, big-time high school running back recruit in this 2022 recruiting class. And then you had Andrew Paul. He's gone now. So we have four scholarship running backs on roster. And Kendall Milton has been dealing with a lingering hamstring injury. So we have three guys on roster as, as, as scholarship running backs who are currently, like what you would say, fully healthy. And going into a season, that's concerning. Now, last year, we were fortunate. Both James Cook and Zamir White were able to stay relatively healthy throughout the entire year. Sure, they had their bangs, their bumps and bruises, and they got knocked around a little bit. But those guys didn't really miss any time because the injuries, then you could kind of work in Kendall and Kenny in there and Dajan in garbage time. But it was really a one-two punch for the most part. So if, if we can keep Kenny healthy and get Kendall back healthy, then we have our one-two punch. You have Dajan Edwards and you have Branson Robinson kind of 
you know, just filling in and giving those guys breathers from time to time. If we can keep those top two guys healthy, then we're fine. But this is the SEC, and you can't always count on that. We saw Alabama last year dealt with a ton of injuries at the running back position. And you know, we were fortunate last year to be able to stay relatively healthy with our top two guys there. I mean, obviously, Kenny and Kendall both dealt with some minor injuries last year. But you just can't count on that in the SEC with the, the grind of this league year in, year out. So I do have some concerns there. I just don't know exactly what to say because I hate labeling guys as injury prone. I don't think that's fair to them because these guys work their butts off year in, year out, year round. And I'm rooting for all of them. But with some of the injury history we have at that running back position, now with, with Paul going down the ACL tear, if he got to a really hot start, and he wasn't even early in a role, he got to a hot start in his first two weeks here practicing with the Georgia Bulldogs, I have to say I'm at least a little bit concerned about the situation running back right now as it pertains to our health. All right, well, our next question comes from Steven, and he says that he read a report this weekend that said the defense got the better of the offense in Saturday's scrimmage, the most recent scrimmage. Yes. But he also said that you said the offense got the better of the defense last week. So what do you make of the turnaround? I did say that because that's what I was being told coming out of the first scrimmage, and I certainly was not alone in that. I mean, I wasn't the only guy saying that. All the beat writers reporting that. Every report you read anywhere was basically saying the same thing. And Curtis and I talked about this last week. I wasn't concerned about it. Curtis wasn't concerned about it. I don't know about you, Charlie. I don't want to speak for you, but I was concerned about it because that's what we should have expected. The offense had all the production returning. The defense has all these questions, all these major contributors gone from last year. Not only are we trying to replace those guys in terms of who's going to start, we're also trying to replace key leaders from that defense. So that didn't surprise me. I honestly would have been more concerned if the defense was ahead of the offense in the first scrimmage. Fast forward to week two, Kirby challenges them. Kirby made a point to basically call the entire defense after the first scrimmage in his post-game press, or post-scrimmage press conference. And they listened, and you knew they would. You knew they would respond. And also a big factor here too, Charlie, is Jalen Carter, obviously the best player in the defense coming into the season, probably a future, almost certainly a future first-round draft pick, maybe a future top 10 draft pick in the NFL draft. He did not play many snaps at all in the first scrimmage a couple Saturdays ago. This week he played a lot more, and when you have that monster in the middle of your defense there playing a lot more snaps, that's certainly going to help your cause. You had some guys who were feeling a bit more comfortable in their roles, guys who are talking about being leaders a little bit more when things go awry, and you face some adversity, which is going to happen in the SEC. Guys are able to rally the troops and get those guys back on track. So I, I, I'm not reading too much into it, honestly, Charlie. I wasn't reading too much into last week. I'm not reading too much into this week because at this point, especially when you're in the second scrimmage or a couple weeks into fall camp, the defense knows what the offense is doing. They know the signals. They know the audibles. They know the play calls. They know the formations. They know the personnel groupings. It's it's not unheard of for the defense to improve as, as fall camp goes along or as spring camp goes along because you're just f- more familiar with what you're seeing. And then on top of that, I do think we're getting a better feel for who those guys are going to be in the two deep on defense. So for all those reasons, I think you saw the defense take a step forward in the second spring scrimmage, and I'm okay. I'm I'm good with that, guys. Like, shouldn't we be good with that, Charlie? Like, I know when the defense does well, it means the offense t- looks like they take a step back. Or maybe the truth is they both just played well. You know, that's just kind of how these things work. I'm taking sauce in the fact that our defense answered the bell when Kirby laid down the gauntlet and challenged them. I think that bodes well for us moving into this coming season. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I mean, that's. That's how I feel about it. I mean, again, just don't read too much into what happens in a scrimmage when it comes to like who had the advantage. Was the offense was the defense? Because it's there, there's so many things going on behind the scenes that we are not privy to. Was the offense running 
a, a full a full playbook? Are they only running a certain number of plays or being vanilla? Like, what's going on there? What's the defense doing? The defense being more aggressive with their play calls? There's so much going on there. Was it more situational? A lot of things going on there. So I, I just wouldn't read too much into it. All right. Well, Dylan would like for you to talk about quarterback. Quarterback. Second quarterback. I mean, oh, second quarterback. Oh, that's more intriguing because we know it's Stetson. Well, we know Sorry. that there are always possible injuries. We also yep, have yep. Stetson Bennett, who's kind of on the smaller side and could be at risk to get injured as any quarterback. You not see those right? guns? I mean, the first he week looked of fall good. Came, see those guns? He looked great. Yeah, you were you texted me like, who is this guy? <laughs> I was like, what's that's our boy Stequavius. All right, so Dylan doesn't think this gets enough coverage. He wants to know who you would have as first guy off the bench if Stetson gets hurt. Who would I have or who do I think is going to be the first guy off the bench? God who would forbid. you put your money on? Who would I put my money on? So who do I think the coaches are going to take put on? snaps okay. in actual games? So, Charlie, this is interesting. So last year, coming this season, and actually after week one, who did Kirby say was our number two quarterback? Carson Beck. Carson Beck. You're right, Charlie. Well, JT Daniels went down early in the season, right? Well, who started his place? Was it Carson Beck? No, it was Stetson Bennett. Exactly, it was Stetson Bennett. So my point here is that Kirby might very well say, as he has been saying since spring practice, that Carson Beck is the number two quarterback right now, and the other guys are playing really well. Brock Vingriff is, is really coming on. Gunnar Stockton's doing a good job here, coming as a, as a true freshman. But Carson Beck is the number two guy. But he was also saying the exact same things this time last year. And when push came to shove and we had to put somebody in there, he went with Stetson Bennett. Now, it's not exactly apples to apples because Stetson did have experience. Neither Brock Vinegriff nor Gunnar Stockton have any experience whatsoever to speak of. Stetson had actual SEC primetime experience. So that is why he jumped ahead of Carson Beck there. I still don't understand what Kirby was doing, saying it was Carson Beck, when clearly in his mind it wasn't Carson Beck. I can't wrap my mind around that. And I think the messaging there was was um, something that he should have handled a little bit better. But look, the decision ended up being the right decision, so I guess it doesn't matter. It's a moot point at this point. But Charlie, I have a very sneaking suspicion. And I know it's a different scenario, different situation here. But if God forbid, again, knock on wood here, something were to happen to Stetson Bennett from an injury standpoint, I have this sneaking suspicion that it would not be Carson Beck that goes in. I think it might be Brock Vandegrift. Here's why. Brock Vandegrift, number one, has apparently, from what I've been told, made big strides from the spring to where we are right now. I was told in the spring, like, somebody I know that's close to the program told me, man, I don't know. I don't know if he's ever going to be that guy. Well, fast forward a couple months to fall camp, and now I'm getting rave reviews when it comes to Brock Vandegrift. And the, the light has essentially come on for this guy. That he's He understands the offense at a different level. He's more accurate with the football. He knows what to do, which is allowing his athleticism to kind of really take over and shine. And that's the second part of this. Not only has he improved to the level where the coaches trust him more, he's kind of caught, I don't want to say he's fully caught up with Carson Beck from an, an understanding of the offense and a comfort, comfortability of the offense standpoint, but he has something that Carson Beck does not. He's got the wheels. He's got the athleticism. And Carson's not a statue. He can move a little bit himself, but not the way that Brock Vandergriff, and also Gunnar Stockton, Gunnar Stockton can as well, but Brock is, is more advanced right now in his knowledge of the system. And I go back to the prime reason that Kirby Smart kept saying that Stetson Bennett was our quarterback last year. No one wanted to listen, but he kept saying it over and over again. And Todd Munkin, a couple weeks ago, repeated the same thing. They loved the mobility that Stetson gave us. 
And Brock Vandegrift is the one who has the best combination of mobility and now experience in the system, even though it hasn't been in-game experience, but it's experience and time in the system that our coaches seem to put a premium on. They put a premium on that last year with the decision to stick with Stetson over JT Daniels. And if Stetson goes out, who's the closest to him on the roster in terms of the skills that he brings to the table? It's brought Vanegrift. And you only go into a a week, like in your game plan, you don't have the you don't carry the entire playbook. You carry certain parts of the playbook. So you imagine that Stetson's legs and his mobility are going to be a big part of every game plan and the offense and the plays that we carry, the parts, the portions of the playbook that we carry into each game, his legs are going to be a part of that. Well, if you throw in Carson Beck, then half of that stuff is thrown out the window, or at least a, a portion of that's thrown out the window. It might not be half, but a portion of it is. If you bring in Brock Vandegrift, you can keep that portion of the playbook that you're carrying that specific week in your game plan, you can keep that intact. So I'm not at practice. I don't know with my, with my own two eyes how much Vandegrift has progressed, how much he's caught up with Beck. I know in the spring, Beck was, was more advanced. It was better. You see that G-Day, which is what we got to see. And that's what I was being told from people I know around the program. But now I'm hearing a different story. And if you just, just listen to that and consider the similarities between Stetson and Vandegrift, as compared to the similarities between Stetson and, and Carson Beck, which there aren't a ton, I have this sneaking suspicion that if push came to shove, poor Carson Beck might just get passed over again. And I don't have any inside information on that. That's just me reading between the lines here and, and speculating. But it wouldn't shock me. We saw it last year. And it, you know, if, if you consider how important our coaches think mobility is in a quarterback, it just wouldn't shock me at this point. All right, sounds good. Our next question comes from Jermaine. He says it sounds like Kamari Lasseter is starting to pull away with the second cornerback spot. Do you think that he holds on to the spot throughout the season, or do you think somebody else might come along yeah, well, for I mean, that spot? Every, I mean, it's still so early. It's so early, yeah. I, mean, I think he's going to start the season right now. From what I understand, he has essentially locked that spot down going into the season, but Kirby preaches competition, and we saw that last year, guys. I mean, we saw Latavius Brini play the majority of the season at the star position only to lose his job and be completely replaced and be like MIA going to witness protection the last couple games of the season. William Poole enters into the conversation. So we have seen that before. That is not unprecedented. We saw, heck, in the, in the national championship game, we saw Warren Erickson after the first half get benched and you move Jamari Salyer inside and you put Broderick Jones at left tackle. And that worked out very, very well. So competition is something our coaches preach. And I think for the most part that they actually abide by that. So I think that Laster is going to have to play up to his abilities and he's going to have to actually continue to progress and play at a high level because those young guys in Nyland Green are going to be chomping at, the, at his heels the entire season. But right now, I fully expect him to go in the season as a starter and I love his length. I love his athleticism. I think that there's a really good chance that he does hold on to that job throughout the entire season. It's not going to be easy because there are a lot of really talented youngsters at that position. But right now, I would say he's the guy, and uh, we'll see how he performs once we get into actual, actual game settings. And Charlie, I know we have a lot more questions to get to, but before we get there, I do want to remind all of our wonderful listeners about our good friends at Alumni Hall. Charlie, I know you recently made a trip to Alumni Hall, and uh, you came out of there a little something, right? Yeah, I got myself a new polo. I like the yep. sleeveless polos because the they're polos. super thin. Mm-hmm. Um, what else did I grab while I was there? Got some socks. I got some new running shorts. What color did you go with? Black. Black. I wanted to go with the gray ones, but... Sweat. Yeah. Sweat shows. Not a great color. Um, yeah, I got some socks. I really wanted to get, 
a new lunchbox. But, but you did not. Why? I didn't. I think I'm going to get it next time. Okay, next time? Yeah. But Alumni Hall, Charlie, I mean, they, our listeners hear me say it all the time, but let's hear from somebody else. It's the best place to shop for Georgia Gear anywhere, right? For yourself or for other people. And so I... And gifts, if you ever need to pick up a gift. And, and from a, a female perspective, what would you make of the ladies' selection there? I think they have great stuff. I prefer the more athletic wear type stuff, but I have friends who like the, you know, fancier, more girly clothes. So how many crop tops did you come out there with? Um, zero. Because <laughs> there were like an entire wall of crop tops last Those time I was in there. are not age appropriate for me anymore. <laughs> I feel like point, I am probably not. 36 and I shouldn't be walking around with a crop top on. So no, I did fair, not. Fair. I, I am going to get my nieces one for their yeah. birthdays, but yeah. But I mean, again, I, I'm I'm not a female, but I just look over at the other side of the store. I'm like, man, I feel like they have a better women's selection sometimes than men's selection, and their men's selection is insane. So what we're saying, guys, if you've got a if you've got a woman in your life, you've got a a daughter, a wife, a mother, someone in your life, do yourself a favor, get some brownie points, go to alumni hall. Get yourself something first off, and also pick up something for the ladies in your life as well. We have the Hall Pass Rewards Program where you get $10 in rewards cash for every $150 you spend. And plus, guys, right now, we're still offering through the month of August, all the way to kickoff against Oregon, September 3rd, a 15% discount for listeners of this show exclusively for you guys. All you have to do is use the promo code GLORYUGA either in person or or online, and you get 15% off your entire purchase. So make sure today, guys, get your game day gear. Time is running out, and Alumni Hall is, hands down, the best place to make that happen. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. All right, Charlie, what else we got? All right, our next question comes from longtime listener and friend of the podcast, Josh. He wants you to talk about the comparison between Dylan Bell and Traylon Burke. So mm. he says that Dylan Bell has great hands, great bill, great athleticism. He wants to know how close he is to Traylon Burks, or can he be like Traylon Burks? And Josh, Josh and I were texting about this, um, and Josh makes an incredible point. Honestly, I had not even thought about it. I never really considered that comparison, but the more I thought about it when Josh brought it up, I was like, you know what? Josh is nailing this, 100%. Now, I hesitate to call Dylan Bell Traylon Burks because Traylon Burks was one of the best receivers, not just in the SEC, but the entire country last year. That guy was a monster for Arkansas. And I don't want to put those kind of expectations on Dylan Bell, although 
early returns, a couple weeks into his Georgia career, at least in terms of practicing here in fall camp, the early returns are this guy is going to be a big-time player for us. Is he going to be Traylon Burks level good? That remains to be seen. I don't want to go there yet. I need to see him on the field before I'm ready to go there. But from a physical makeup standpoint, I think this is a fantastic comparison. Dylan Bell is a little bit smaller than Burks. Bell is like 6'1", about 210, where Traylon Burks, at least last year, he was older. He was an older player, so maybe Dylan continued to grow into this. But he was 6'2", about 220, 225. And at least that's the way he was listed at. If you watch him play, might have been close to like 230, 235. what it looked like at times. But from a physical makeup standpoint, yes, absolutely. They both have a very similar skill set, good hands, thick bodies, physicality, but also bring that athleticism as well. Neither guy's a burner. Dylan Bell, that's what a lot of people were saying about him coming out of high school. That's why there wasn't as much attention being paid to him is that on tape, he didn't look like he was that home run speed type receiver, which everyone's looking for now, right? Everyone's looking for the Jalen Waddle, Devontae Smith. And I get that. Those guys are incredible receivers, but those aren't the only type of receivers that can be productive in the college football game. Traylon Burks, for example, that last year, good speed, good athleticism, but was not an elite athlete. It was just the size, size, athleticism combination that made him who he was. And I think Dylan Bell and his ability to go up and catch those 50-50 balls, make those contested catches, is very similar, his skill set and his physical makeup to a guy like Traylon Burks. Now, again, let me reiterate, I'm not saying he's going to be as good as Traylon Burks, but I think Josh is spot on here, at least the physical the physical comparison. So, Josh, I don't think you're going too far at all, my man. All right. Our next question is from Gary. We have a few more questions to go tonight. Uh, he wants to know if there's a player that's been excuse me, that has not been heavily reported on by beat writers this season so far, or pre-camp, I guess. Well, not pre-camp. You through, know what through I'm saying. Through fall camp, the first couple through of weeks. Through fall yes. camp, or who's making a move for playing time or taking the next step. So Anybody somebody, we haven't really heard about that you have heard about? Uh, I mean, most of what I've heard about behind the scenes is what's being reported on in the in the media, you know, by beat writers and whatnot. One name that I haven't seen a ton of talk about because he's not really with the number one offense right now, although he has gotten some reps with the number one offense, is Amarius Mims. I've been told that he's had a really, really good fall camp. This is a guy that you know did temporarily enter the transfer portal in the middle of spring practice. Obviously, he ended up coming back to Georgia, which is awesome because this guy's a former five-star, and he has got the physical tools that you drool over when you talk about the offensive line, especially like a, a tackle prospect. I think a future left tackle prospect. But the problem he's run into is that Warren McClendon at right tackle is going into his third year as a starter. Broderick Jones was a year ahead of him, a little bit of a head start there. He's going to play left tackle. And it's like, well, where does this guy fit? And that's what he was seeing. That's why he entered the transfer portal. But we got him back on campus. And I've heard that he's really dedicated himself to getting better, to improving. And he's just been grinding and working. And he has had a really, really good fall camp. Now, I do not think that's going to equate to him starting to open the season, but here's what I do think is going to happen. I do expect to see him get playing time. And that might only mean a series here or there in the first half, but I think he's going to get meaningful reps in games. And then if we get into blowouts, I think he's going to be the first guy to go back in there and get more and more reps. And then if he continues to progress and other guys falter, which I don't think is going to happen because I, I love what we have on the offensive line. He could potentially find his way into the lineup. You know, injuries happen as well. We saw that last year on the, on the offensive line. I mean, Cedric Van Pram 
was the beneficiary of Warren Erickson going down in fall camp, and that's how he got that starting center job. That was going to be Warren Erickson's job. Erickson goes down, Van Pran takes advantage of it, and Erickson found his way in into the lineup at right guard, which he's not really a fit for, and we saw that kind of play out as the season went on. I don't know if he's going to be able to displace someone this year unless there's an injury, but I think he's putting himself in really, really, really good position. If there is an injury, God forbid, to jump in there and be one of the first guys off the bench, whether that's at guard or at tackle. He can play right tackle. He can play left tackle. I think he can also play guard as well. But I do think he's going to play because what I've been told is that he's really starting to come on. He's opening coaches' eyes. And from a physical standpoint, like on the hoof, this guy is what NFL scouts dream of. So, and, and we also know that this guy has already flirted with the transfer portal. I mean, he entered the transfer portal. So our coaches definitely want to find a way to keep this guy here. And you're going to need to, to give him chances to actually play in games if you want to avoid the same scenario last year. So I think he's going to get an opportunity and I think he's going to make the most of it. I think this guy is going to be a big time player for us down the road. All right. Great. Now this is our last question comes from Thomas. He says that we're a couple weeks into fall practice. We have one game in less than two weeks. What's one thing you feel better about so far this season and one thing you feel worse about in fall camp? Yes. All right, one thing that I feel better about, I feel better about the secondary, Charlie. I was really concerned. My biggest concern coming into fall camp was that field cornerback position. I know what we have in Ringo, but that cornerback position, whoever won that job, as talented as whoever wins that job is going to be, and I think it's going to be Kamari Lastra, that's what all reports are indicating. Whoever that was going to be was not going to have really any meaningful experience whatsoever. Lastra had a little bit last year, but it was in garbage time. It was mop-up duty stuff. I was concerned because you know whoever wins that job is going to get heavily targeted with Keely Ringo on the opposite side there playing the boundary cornerback. I, I had my concerns. I love the talent, but I didn't know who was going to rise to the top there. But from what I've heard, not only all of you, I'm sure, have heard that, that Kamari, as we've talked about, is right now shaping up to be the guy. Like He, for all practical purposes, has that spot locked down. But just talking to some people behind the scenes... It's more than just that. They're very impressed with how he's looking right now. He's not Keely Ringo, but there's a lot of confidence around the program and how good Kamari Laster can be for us. And that makes me feel a lot better. And then you also hear about a guy like Malachi Starks, who's really starting to come on as a true freshman at safety. I told you guys, Curtis and I both told you coming into fall camp, we did our preview episode, that Malachi Starks was hands down the most talented, physically gifted player that we had back there as an option at safety. Now, neither one of us predicted that he was going to find his way in the starting lineup to open the season because he's a true freshman and his head is spinning. It's really hard for true freshmen, especially in the secondary, and especially at safety, where our coaches put such a premium on experience and being able to trust those guys. I felt it was very difficult for him to earn that kind of trust this early in his career. But I apparently might very well be proven wrong here, Charlie. This guy has consistently been working with the ones, from what I've been told, all throughout fall camp. Now, does that mean he's going to start? I can't guarantee that. And he hasn't been the only guy working the ones, but he has been getting a lot of reps since basically the start of fall camp. It's only been increasing with each and every practice. He's been getting a lot of reps with the ones. And that's encouraging to me because I actually like the options that we have there. I know people don't think Dan Jackson is a great athlete. I disagree. I think Dan Jackson's a very good athlete and our coaches trust him. So what this tells me is if Malachi Starks is indeed taking reps over Dan Jackson or splitting reps with Dan Jackson and also David Daniel as well at safety that he has really, really started to earn the trust of the coaches. And when you factor that in with the natural God-given physical ability this guy brings to the table, that 
is a very exciting development for me because this guy is, again, hands down the most talented option we have there from a physical standpoint. It was just about experience and trust. And if he's earning the trust of the coaches at this point, that speaks volumes about where he is in his development and what we can expect in that position. So I, I think you'll see a couple different guys roll back there. I think Chris Smith's going to play, obviously, a lot. He'll, probably, he'll start. I still think Dan Jackson will probably start the Oregon game, but I do expect Malachi Starks to play and play a good bit as early as week one. And I think that's very, very, very encouraging for Georgia Bulldog fans because that guy is the real deal from an athleticism standpoint. So I'm excited about that. Concern, I, last week I talked about how my biggest concern was the rush defense. So I want to go with something a little bit different here. I'm going to say the pass rush, Charlie. I'm concerned about the pass rush. Last year, we went heavy. We leaned heavily on our inside linebackers to generate pass rush, especially once Adam Anderson went out of the lineup. I mean, Channing Tindall kind of played his role, and it was as early as week one against Clemson. You saw that, Charlie. Like, we were just harassing DJ Uyunglele, and we were bringing those guys from all angles, whether it was Quay, whether it was Nakobe, whether it was Channing Tindall. And all three of those guys excelled rushing the passer. And that's a skill set that we've been recruiting. We try to identify that in our inside linebackers, but those guys were special when it came to that. And I'll give our coaches credit. They fit their defensive scheme around the players and the personnel that we had on hand, which was we had elite pass rushing inside linebackers. So we'd primarily been a heavy star pressure, guys coming off the edge there from the, from the, the, the nickel position. But we changed that up this past year, and we went heavy with inside linebacker pressure. We went from 51% linebacker pressure in 2019 to 57% linebacker pressure in 2020 to 77% linebacker pressure last year. Blitzing our inside linebackers became our primary mode of rushing the passer last year. My question is, how are we going to generate pressure this year? There's no Adam Anderson. You have Nolan Smith. And I think Nolan can be a better pass rusher if given opportunities. Robert Beal, is, he was our leader in sacks last year. He does return. So that should give you some confidence there. But is Robert? I still don't know if Robert Beal is an elite pass rusher. He's a very good pass rusher. He's productive for us last year. Is he an elite guy? Is he like a, a Will Anderson type guy? No, of course not. He's not that guy. And so losing the, the pass rushers we did inside linebacker, the Quay Walkers and the Kobe Deans, the Chang Tindles, I have concerns about how we're going to do that. And I, I, I trust our coaches to have an answer to that because, again, they do a fantastic job defensively of fitting our scheme year in, year out to our personnel on hand. I just don't know exactly what that's going to look like this year. I have some anxiety about that. I, I really like Smile Mon. I think he's a guy that can be a fantastic blitzer for us with, with his athleticism. I, I think Tresman can do that. I don't know if he's as much of a natural blitzer, and I don't know if Pop is as much of a natural blitzer as some of the guys that we had last year. And right now, it looks like Tresman and Pop are probably the leaders to start right now at inside linebacker. One name that I have heard a lot about that's going to get a lot of playing time in, uh, in a pass rushing role on third downs is true freshman inside linebacker Jalen Walker. I just don't know if he's ready to play significant snaps as like a top four rotation guy at inside linebacker. I think he's going to be more of a situational guy. I think our four-man rotation inside linebacker will be Pop, Tresman, Smile Mondin, and I think Xavier Sori as well. I think there's going to be a top four guys, and I do think we're going to use Jalen Walker as a pass rusher on third downs, but we need we need to rush the passer on more than just third downs. So that's a little bit of a concern for me. It's not that I don't think we have the talent. It's just I don't know what it's going to look like this year because we just don't have the same exact type personnel that we had last year that we used such a, so effectively rushing the passer from the inside linebacker position. But all right, guys, that's all the questions we have today, right, Charlie? 
Those are all the questions. And I know you've been looking at your watch for the last like 10 minutes. Like, I know you got to get out of here. I know you actually stay a little a little later than you were Don't going to. Why? No, that's exactly what you've been doing. I looked at my watch like one time. Uh, at least four times. No. At least four times. No. At least three? Liar. More than once. More than once. Liar. But I appreciate you being here. I know you stay a little bit later than you originally anticipated. So thank you for that. And you'll be back next week, right? We have our official season preview, our picks episode. Is this you asking me to come back? Well, we talked about this. This is officially happening. Okay. You're going to be with us every week throughout okay. the rest of the season, right? Let me know what day. Okay, so th- that's what I'm talking about. When you say, let me know what day. Like, wh- what I am I, like, how am I supposed to read into that? I would like a schedule. I you am, have a schedule in the season. I am type A. I don't remember what it was. That was a year ago. Okay, Charlie. I will write this down for you. That's fair. That is fair. We will, we will discuss this off the air. Thank you. But thank you for being here. It's lovely to have I you I hope back. everyone has a great week. We will see you next week, Charlie. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. All right, guys, Charlie is out of here, but I am back for a little bit more. And what I want to talk about the rest of the episode today is the week one matchup against Oregon. I'm not going to go into crazy detail, breaking down the ins and outs of this matchup, the personnel, the schemes, all that stuff. I'm not going to do that on this episode. We did the Scout and the Enemy episode a month or so ago, a month and a half ago, and Curtis and I will be back with the full-on... Oregon game preview next week. That's happening. We'll give you guys all that content. But today, I really just want to pose a question because I don't exactly know how to feel about this game. And I'm just curious if any of you out there are like me because almost all of the conversation I've seen around this game, whether it's from the national media or the Georgia media or Georgia fans that I'm around in general, seems to be centered around the idea that we are just going to blow out Oregon week one in Atlanta. And I don't know if I feel like that's the case. So I guess my question for you guys today, and I would love to hear your thoughts on this on social media. Hit us up on Twitter. It's at Glory underscore UGA. You can email us, Glory UGA podcast. Hit us up on Instagram. Whatever works best for you guys. But I'm curious what you guys think about this. Is this Oregon team more of a threat to beat us in Atlanta than the average Georgia fan wants to admit? Should this game be concerning us as a collective fan base more than I think it is based on what I see in here? And I'm struggling with this. Here's why I'm struggling with it. Number one, let's just start here. I fully recognize 
that we are clearly the more talented team in this matchup. When these two teams face off in Atlanta less than two weeks from now, Jesus Christ, it cannot get here fast enough. But when that happens, we are going to have the more talented roster. That is not in question. I am not questioning that. We have consistently over the series of five to six years recruited at a fairly significantly higher level than Oregon. For the past two seasons, I believe that we have had the most talented roster in all of America. This season, I think we're one of the two to three most talented rosters in America. I don't think it's hands down that we're the most talented roster, but we're certainly in the conversation. Oregon is not in that conversation. I am not arguing that point, but while the most talented team in college football usually wins football games, that's a good place to start. It isn't always the case. There are other factors that are involved in the outcomes of these games. I mean, if the most talented team in the matchup always won every game, would we have lost at home to South Carolina in 2019? No, we wouldn't have. If the most talented team always wins every matchup, would we have lost at home to Vanderbilt in 2016? Would we have lost to Georgia Tech of all teams at home in 2016? The answer to all those questions is emphatically no, because we were clearly the most talented team, the more talented team in each of those matchups. And yes, I know that those type of upsets are very few and far between, but my point is that they happen. They're not unprecedented. And this Oregon team is infinitely more talented than any of those teams that I mentioned that we've lost to in the Kirby Smart era that we should not have lost to. So first off, it's possible. Not likely based on talent, but it's possible. And here's beyond the talent, here's what has me at least somewhat anxious heading into this matchup and wondering if maybe we should be a little bit more concerned about this matchup than I think your rank and file Georgia fan is. And I mentioned this in our scouting enemy episode, but I'm going to reiterate it here. The unknown in this game, the uncertainty around this Oregon team is unsettling to me. They have a play caller, an offensive coordinator who's actually calling plays for the very first time in his career. He's been an offensive coordinator before. Kenny Dillingham has been an offensive coordinator at Memphis, been an offensive coordinator at Auburn under Gus Malzahn, been an offensive coordinator under Mike Norvell again at Florida State. But in absolutely zero of those stops has he been the primary play caller. It was Gus Malzahn. It was Mike Norvell, both at Memphis and at Florida State. Now, there are a couple of different ways that you can look at that. On one hand, you could absolutely say, well, I mean, this is a guy who's never called plays before, and he's going to go match up against one of the best defensive of minds in all the college football, several of the best defensive of minds in all the college football with Kirby Smart and Will Muschamp. Yeah, I know he kind of failed as a head coach, but he's a great defensive coordinator, great defensive of mind. Glenn Schumann's a rising star in the profession, a future defensive coordinator himself, a co-defensive coordinator now. So, Advantage Georgia, right? Experience, geniuses on the defensive side of the ball if you want to go that far versus a guy who's never called plays before. Advantage Georgia. I can see that. And, and that's a fair attitude to have and a fair approach to take when looking at this matchup. But I think there's also another way you could potentially look at it as well. And this is what has me at least slightly unsettled here. We don't exactly know what Kenny Dillingham's offense is going to be. Now, can we make educated guesses? Can we deduce based off where he's been, the offenses that he's worked with? Sure, absolutely. You know, he's been with Mike Norvell a lot. You're probably going to see a lot of Mike Norvell's spread to pass offense. Been with Gus Malzahn, maybe worked some of the quarterback run game in there. Obviously, he has a background with Bo Nix, which is why Bo Nix ended up at Oregon. If you're curious, like, how did Bo Nix end up going from Auburn to Oregon? It's because of Kenny Dillingham. He was the offense coordinator, didn't call plays, but also quarterback coach 
at uh, at Auburn when Bo Nix was a young quarterback there. So there's, there is some familiarity. So it's probably a, a, a mixture of both of those offenses, but we don't know exactly what that's going to look like. Now, word is, coming out of Oregon camp, they're going to operate with a lot of tempo, which I think is to be expected based off where he's been. You get in Auburn and with Mike Norvell at Memphis and Florida State. But on top of that, we also don't really have any tendencies to work off of in terms of what he likes to do as a play caller. Again, we know where he's been. We know who he has worked with, who he's learned from, but we don't know what his own little individual spin on things is going to be. And coming into a season with no tape to work off of, that to me is concerning. It's been a long time since I've coached football, but back when I did for a short while, I can tell you it's very difficult to prep for a team, especially week one, when you don't really have any film to operate off of. It's hard enough when you have film to operate off of from last year. It's a different year, different personnel, but at least it's something, right? But when you're facing a team with a coaching staff change and you have no tape to really operate off of, you've never seen them run an offense before, that's a difficult prep. It's it's difficult. And really what you do is you rely on your players to just go out there and react and play and just out-talent them. And yes, again, I come back to it. We have more talent, but here's another part of my concern. When you are facing a team that has an offensive coordinator that you really have no tendencies to work off of, you have no tape to operate off of, you don't know exactly what he's going to run offensively. It's one thing when you have a ton of experienced players like N'Kobe Dean and Quay Walker and Channing Tindall and Jordan Davis and Adam Anderson and Trayvon Walker and Lewis Seen, all of those guys to operate with and to just go out there and react because they play a ton of football and they've seen a lot of football and they understand these things and that experience is going to help them adjust to whatever they weren't able to prepare for in the offseason with the lack of film. That's one thing. But for me, it's an entirely different thing when you're asking a very inexperienced group of defenders to adjust on the fly like that when they don't have a ton of information to operate off of when it comes to prepping for this team. Not a ton of film to watch. When you've got two new stars and inside linebacker, you have a ton of new starters on the defensive line. Where I guess we get Jalen Carter back, and you have Nolan Smith, but you're going to have Zion Logue in a, in a bigger role. Heck, we might have a true freshman in Michael Williams starting at the five technique. We're going to have a brand new guy at cornerback in Kamari Laster. We might potentially be starting Malachi Starks as safety. Even if he doesn't start, he's going to play a lot. There is a lot of inexperience on this defense. And when you factor in that we don't have a ton of information to operate off of in terms of prepping for this Oregon offense— I have some concerns about their ability to just adjust on the fly and react to what they see because they don't have the muscle memory. They don't have the experience seeing these things in live game settings. I'm already concerned about them thinking more than reacting out there in general. And then when you factor in they don't have that ability to prep the way that you normally would, that gives me some concern. That unsettles me. I go back to that word. It unsettles me. And I also told you last week that my biggest concern the entire team right now is our ability to stop the run with even numbers, which is what we've hung our hat on. It's been the key to our defensive dominance over the past several years. And I understand that we have some really good players returning. Jalen Carter is a monster. He's as good of a player as there is anywhere in the country. I will stand by that. He will not be in the Heisman Trophy conversation because he plays defense and he's a defensive tackle. So he's not even really racking up the sacks, but 
at what he does, kind of like Roquan Smith back in the day in 2017. I think Roquan was as good at his job, at his position, as anyone in the country was in 2017, but he played inside linebacker, therefore he was not going to be involved in the Heisman Trophy conversation. So I think Jalen Carter is a monster. He's incredible. I think Nolan Smith is such a really good player for us. I know he's, I think he's kind of undervalued because he doesn't rack up the sack numbers, but in terms of playing the run and doing what he's asked to do at that position, that dude was a stud for us last year, and I don't think he gets near enough credit. So we have some players. I feel good about those guys, but again, you're talking about replacing guys like Jordan Davis and Devontae Wyatt and Trayvon Walker. And I'm so high on Michael Williams. I told you guys that back when we signed him in February. He was my pick to be that dude in this recruiting class like Brock Bowers was the year before, but he's young. And I have questions there. Inside linebacker, I think those guys are going to be really, really good in time, but we need them to be really, really good in week one because Oregon is going to give us their best shot. And the thing about this Oregon offense, the strength of their entire team, honestly, is their offensive line. Not just their offense, their entire team, the strength is their offensive line. And if those concerns I have about all these new guys fitting in in our front seven and their ability to stop the run as effectively as we did with even numbers last year, if that plays out the way that I'm afraid it might, and I, and I could be very wrong here, but if it plays out the way I think it could with the guys that we're replacing early in the season, now give us a couple of weeks, I think we'll be hitting the ground running and being in great shape. But week one, I don't know. I think that's a tough matchup for us potentially. And then there's Bo Nix. You guys know that I have been, I mean, I'll just say it, I've been a Bo Nix hater. I will own that. I've been a Bo Nix hater since day one, honestly. I think he's got to be on the short list of most physically gifted athletes at the quarterback position to not actually be good at football, at least to this point in his career. But saying that, what he does really well is use his legs, his mobility. And I just never understood why Auburn did not make, even Gus Malzahn, who forever had made use of, of great dual threat quarterbacks like Cam Newton and Nick Marshall. And I never never felt he utilized Bo Nix's legs as, as much as he needed to. And obviously did not do enough of that last year. But if Kenny Dillingham is finally going to be the guy that says, you know what, Bo Nix is not a great passer. He's not. You know, Tyler's right. He's not. Obviously, he doesn't know who I am, but he's not a great passer. But you know what he can do? He can run the football. He's dynamic with the ball in his hands running the football. So maybe let's utilize him in that way. And that's going to put even more pressure on our ability to stop the run with even numbers because then that adds an extra blocker in the equation and gives them a numbers advantage in the box there. So that adds to my concerns about our ability to slow down the Oregon rush attack the way that we have in years past. And then if we have to roll another safety in the box, another body in there to stop their run game, well, now you're playing some single high looks. And sure, you can play some cover three out of that, but we'll also be playing a lot of man free with one safety, Roman Deep back there. And sure, we'll probably shade that safety over Kamari Lassiter, but you're going to be putting a guy who's never played meaningful snaps in his life out there, potentially at times, one-on-one, without a ton of safety help. That further exacerbates my concerns. And then flip it over to the other side of the ball, defensively, I think the offensive line is Oregon's strength of the entire team, but defensively, their front seven is their strength. Especially with guys like Noah Sewell, who was just named to the first-team preseason All-American list today. As a, as a starter inside linebacker. And then you've also got Justin Flo, who's only played like two games in two years, but he was a former five-star guy, incredibly athletic, big physical guy, and people are extraordinarily high on him. If he is everything that everyone expects him to be this year, you got two studs at inside linebacker, one of the best duos in the country at inside linebacker. You got Popo Amave at defensive tackle, good player there. And we know, everyone knows what we want to do offensively. We want to establish the run, work play action shots vertically off the down the field off of that. 
Well, we saw what happened when we got behind this Alabama in the SEC championship game and our run game got taken out of the equation. Now, our run game got taken out of the equation in that game, not because we couldn't run the ball, but because we got behind and it kind of snowballed and we had to try to fight our way back. But you've seen what happens when we have to rely on our drop back pass game to go out there and win this game. So I think we're more equipped to make that work for us this year. Stetson in his first full offseason being the guy. I think we have some receiving options with like Lad McConkey and A.D. Mitchell who are going to take another step in, in year two. Uh, we've got more tight end options as well with Darnell back fully healthy. And you got Arik Gilbert in the equation. So we, I think we're more equipped to do that. But I still wouldn't say it's our strength right now. And if they are able to slow down our rushing attack and force us to try to beat them with our drop back p- pass game, that at the very least has to be mildly concerning, right guys? I mean, again, we, we saw what that looked like last year when there was one team that put us in that position and it didn't work out so well. It might be a different story this year. It's a new season. I'm open to that possibility. I hope that's the case. But what if? Like, and I don't think they'll be able to completely stop our run game. I don't think they'll be able to. But what if they are able to do that? I don't think they had the personnel. I love our offensive line this year. I think we're going to be better on the offensive line. But the what if is out there. What if with their good front seven, two stud inside linebackers, what if they are able to relatively slow down our run game and force us to do more than drop back pass game? Are we ready to go out and win a game doing that? against a team that, no, is not as talented as we are, but it's also not this massive, massive gulf. It's not like we're playing Cal or Arizona or Washington State. I mean, we recruit, we do recruit better than Oregon by a pretty wide margin, but they're still a top 10 to top 15 recruiting program over the past three to four years under Mario Cristobal's leadership. He was an SEC type recruiter. So no, they don't have our talent, but they're, they're a still a talented team. And I just wonder about some of these matchups. And then the final thing that has me a little bit concerned here is just the nothing to lose factor here. And this is the most nebulous of all my concerns, but they are going to come into Atlanta. And the idea is, well, it's it's a home game for Georgia. So Oregon's just going to get blown out. They're going to get run out of the building real quick. And you know what? That's the most likely outcome. I, I do understand that. I know that's the most likely outcome. I just don't know if it's as much of a done deal as a lot of people are, are trying to make it out to be, like just completely dismissing this game. I think that's that might not be the wise thing to do, just to completely dismiss this game, because this Oregon team does have talent, and they're going to come in there guns blazing with absolutely nothing to lose. You know Dan Lanning wants this game, and of course Kirby Smart does too, but I imagine that they're going to have some tricks up their sleeve, and it would not shock me at all to see them kind of just throw the kitchen sink at us. It would not, because what kind of statement would it make week one, game one of the Dan Landing tenure there, trying to establish a new standard for this Oregon football team? I fully expect to get their 100% best shot. Now, is their 100% best shot good enough to beat us if we give them our 100% best shot? No, I do not believe that it is. But how can you guarantee that we're going to throw our best shot? I, I hope so, but we also have all the inexperienced guys, and, and that is something that, at least in week one, concerns me. It'll concern me less and less as the year goes on. But Oregon, I just have this feeling, and this is, I know, nebulous. This is, you know, it's hard to quantify feelings, but I just can't, I can't kick it. This feeling that they are going to come out just swinging, man. And we better be ready to throw one back. So that's kind of where I am right now in this game. I, I still expect us to win this game. But I, I told you guys back when I did the Scout the Enemy episode back in, in early July, I think the line in this game, where you know, depending on where you look, it's anywhere from like 17 to 18. I think that's way too many points in this game. I do think that we win, but I think that Oregon is probably going to push us more than the average Georgia fan expects and wants to see. But here's the last thing. I'm thinking all these things, 
But then this thought pops in my mind. Well, how much of this is just my like fan anxiety? The Larry Munson in me, which I did grow up on Larry Munson, guys. Driving to my football games, my, uh, my Little League football games, and, and the old beat-up truck with my dad. Listening to Larry Munson call games to and from these, these football games that I was playing as a kid. I grew up on Larry Munson. And so certainly that's ingrained in me. Like I, I understand that. And I, I've readily admitted since Kirby's gotten here, I've been trying to work myself out of that mindset because this is a different era. This is the golden era of Georgia football. And it's a different thing, you know, and I love Mark Rick, but it is, wasn't the same thing. So I've been kind of hardwired through my entire life to just go in these games, like worrying myself sick, you know, and just like hoping for the best, but expecting the worst, you know, that's kind of how I've always operated. And I'm trying to break myself of those habits because Kirby Smart has, has changed the game here in Athens, but it's still a work in progress for me. So that's part of this too, is like, okay, am I just making too much of this? And I know most of you out there probably sitting there saying, yes, Tyler, you're nodding along right now. Yes, you're definitely making too much of this. I know I'm certainly the minority based on what I've seen and heard throughout the entire off season. So I recognize that. And that's probably what this is. But I just had to come on here and talk about it, guys. I had to just share these thoughts because these thoughts have been kind of going through my head for, you know, a couple of weeks, if not longer now. And I, I've kind of tried to be, I've tried to hold it back because I didn't want to be that guy who comes on here. And it's like, woe is me, woe is me. The sky is falling. I don't want to be that guy, but I also want to be authentic and honest with you guys. And that's kind of where I am right now. And I got a week plus to kind of get myself out of that mindset. Again, Curtis and I will have a full-on breakdown for you guys next week. And we'll get Curtis's thoughts on this as well. But I just kind of want to come on here and just give you where I am right now when it comes to this matchup against Oregon. I just I'm a little unsettled by it, and and certainly more concerned about this than the average Georgia fan is, based off what I've seen and heard throughout the past couple of weeks and months. But all right, guys, that officially does it for us here today on the Glory UJ podcast. We are getting closer, guys. We are so close. I can't wait, you can't wait, Charlie can't wait, Curtis can't wait, none of us can wait, and it will be here before we know it. And once it does get here, guys, we will be there every step of the way covering Georgia football the way we've been doing for the past eight seasons. Charlie's back full-time for the season, Curtis is back. We're going to have a lot of great stuff for you guys this season. We have another big sponsor that we're going to be rolling out here in the coming week. We're just waiting to get all the I's dotted, all the T's crossed, and we're going to have some really, really cool content for you guys on the sports betting front. So we are very excited about that, but we'll officially roll that out for you guys next week. But thank you guys for being here. We are extraordinarily excited to have you guys with us for another season of Georgia football, what we all live and die for, at least those of you who are listening to this podcast, because you are the most diehard fans out there. But we love you guys. Thank you for being here. Curtis will be back with me later on this week to do our annual bowl predictions episode. And we got a ton of great predictions from you guys. So we'll run through as many of those as we possibly can later in the week. But for now, for Charlie, I'm Tyler. And as always, go dogs.